Stories, fables, ghostly tales. Five tales of old to caress your ears tonight, listeners. A boy brought from the skies, whose sister's love protects him. The would-be princess whose future could be ruined by a treacherous and spiteful maid. Three friends ruined by greed, and elves receive a gift of their very own. Today, listeners, I hope these stories kickstart your day or bring you to a relaxing Friday night. Handpicked and narrated just for your lovely ears. Now, turn off the lights, turn up the sound, and let's listen to something special, just like you love. There was once a forester who went into the forest to hunt, and as he entered it he heard a sound of screaming, as if a little child were there. He followed the sound, and at last came to a high tree, and at the top of this a little child was sitting. For the mother had fallen asleep under the tree with the child, and a bird of prey had seen it in her arms, had flown down, snatched it away and set it on the high tree. The forester climbed up, brought the child down, and thought to himself, You will take him home with you and bring him up with your Lena. He took him home, therefore, and the two children grew up together, and the one which she had found on a tree was called Fundevogel, because a bird had carried it away. Fundevogel and Lena loved each other so dearly that when they did not see each other, they were sad. Now, the forester had an old cook, who one evening took two pails and began to fetch water, and it did not go once only but many times, out to the spring. Lena saw this and said, Listen, old sinner, why are you fetching so much water? If you will never repeat it to anyone, I will tell you why. So Lena said no, she would never repeat it to anyone. And then the cook said, Early tomorrow morning, when the forester is out hunting, I will heat the water, and when it is boiling in the kettle, I will throw in Fundevogel, and will boil him in it. Early next morning, the forester got up and went out hunting, and when he was gone, the children were still in bed. Then Lena said to Fundevogel, If you will never leave me, I too will never leave you. Fundevogel said, Neither now nor ever will I leave you. Then said Lena, Then will I tell you, last night, old Sanna carried so many buckets of water into the house that I asked her why she was doing that. And she said that if I would promise not to tell anyone, and she said that early tomorrow morning when father was out hunting, she would set the kettle full of water, throw you in it, and boil you. But we will get up quickly, dress ourselves, and go away together. The two children therefore got up, dressed themselves quickly, and went away. When the water in the kettle was boiling, the cook went into the bedroom to fetch Fundevogel and throw him in it. But when she came in and went to the beds, both the children were gone. Then she was terribly alarmed and said to herself, What shall I say when the forester comes home and sees that the children are gone? 
they must be followed instantly to get them back again. Then the cook sent three servants after them, who were to run and overtake the children. The children, however, were sitting outside the forest, and when they saw from afar the three servants running, Lena said to Fundervogel, Never leave me, and I will never leave you. Fundervogel said, Neither now, nor ever. Then said Lena, Do you become a rose tree, and I a rose upon it? When the three servants came to the forest, nothing was there but a rose tree, and one rose on it. But the children were nowhere. Then they said, There is nothing to be done here. And they went home and told the cook that they had seen nothing in the forest but a little rose bush with one rose on it. Then the old cook scolded and said, You simpletons! You should have cut the rose bush in two, and have broken off the rose and brought it home with you. Go, and do it at once. They had therefore to go out and look for the second time. The children, however, saw them coming from a distance. Then Lena said, Fundevogel, never leave me, and I will never leave you. Neither now, nor ever. Lena said, Then do you become a church? and I'll be the chandelier in it. So when the three servants came, nothing was there but a church with a chandelier in it. They said therefore to each other, What can we do here? Let's go home. When they got home, the cook asked if they had not found them, so they said no. They had found nothing but a church, and there was a chandelier in it. And the cook scolded them and said again, You fools! Why did you not pull the church to pieces and bring the chandelier home with you? And now the old cook herself got on her legs and went with the three servants in pursuit of the children. The children, however, saw from afar that the three servants were coming and the cook waddling after them. Then said Lena, Fundevogel, never leave me and I will never leave you. Neither now nor ever. And Lena said, be a fish pond, and I will be a duck upon it. The cook, however, came up to them, and when she saw the pond, she lay down by it, and was about to drink it up. But the duck swam quickly to her, seized her head in its beak, and drew her into the water, and there the old witch had to drown. Then the children went home together, and were heartily delighted. And if they, had, and if they have not died, they are living still to this day. The king of a great land died, and left his queen to take care of their only child. This child was a daughter, who was very beautiful, and her mother loved her dearly, and was very kind to her. And there was a good fairy too, who was fond of the princess, and helped her mother to watch over her. When she grew up, she was betrothed to a prince who lived a great way off, and as the time drew near for her to be married, she got ready to set off on her journey to his country. Then the queen, her mother, packed up a great many costly things, jewels, gold, silver trinkets, fine dresses, and in short, everything that became a royal bride. And she gave her a waiting maid to ride with her, and gave her into the bridegroom's hands, and each had a horse for the journey. Now the princess's horse was the fairy's gift, and it was called Falada, and could speak. When the time came for them to set out, the fairy went into her bedchamber and took a little knife 
and cut off a lock of her hair, and gave it to the princess, and said, Take care of it, dear child, for it is a charm that may be of use to you on the road. Then they all took a sorrowful leave of the princess, and she put the lock of hair into her bosom, got upon her horse, and set off on her journey to her bridegroom's kingdom. One day, as they were riding along by a brook, the princess began to feel very thirsty, and she said to her maid, Pray get down and fetch me some water in my golden cup out of yonder brook, for I want to drink. Nay, said the maid, if you are thirsty, get off yourself and stoop down by the water and drink. I shall not be your waiting maid any longer. Then she was so thirsty that she got down, and knelt over the little brook, and drank, for she was frightened, and dared not bring out her golden cup, and she wept and said, Alas, what will become of me? And the lock of hair answered her, Alas, alas, if thy mother knew it, sadly, sadly, would she rue it. But the princess was very gentle and meek, so she said nothing to her maid's ill behaviour, but got upon her horse again. Then all rode farther on their journey, till the day grew so warm and the sun so scorching, that the bride began to feel very thirsty again, and at last, when they came to a river, she forgot her maid's rude speech and said, Pray get down and fetch me some water to drink in my golden cup. But the maid answered her and even spoke more haughtily than before. Drink it if you will, but I shall not be your waiting maid. Then the princess was so thirsty that she got off her horse and lay down and held her head over the running stream and cried and said, What will become of me? And the lock of hair answered her again, Alas, alas, if thy mother knew it, sadly, sadly, would she rue it. And as she leaned down to drink, the lock of hair fell from her bosom and floated away with the water. Now she was so frightened that she did not see it, but her maid saw it and was very glad, for she knew the charm and she saw that the poor bride would be in her power now that she had lost the hair. So when the bride had done drinking, and would have got upon Falada again. The maid said, I shall ride upon Falada, and you may have my horse instead. So she was forced to give up her horse, and soon afterwards to take off her royal clothes and put on her maid's shabby ones. At last, as they drew near the end of their journey, this treacherous servant threatened to kill her mistress if she ever told anyone what had happened. But Falada saw it all, and marked it well. Then the waiting maid got upon Falada, and the real bride rode upon the other horse, and they went on in this way till at last they came to the royal court. There was great joy at their coming, and the prince flew to meet them, and lifted the maid from her horse, thinking she was the one who was to be his wife. And she was led upstairs to the royal chamber, but the true princess was told to stay in the court below. Now, the old king happened just then to have nothing else to do, so he amused himself by sitting at his kitchen window, looking at what was going on. And he saw her in the courtyard, and she looked very pretty and too delicate for a waiting maid. He went up into the royal chamber to ask the bride who it was she had brought with her, that was thus left standing at the court below. I brought her with me for the sake of her company on the road. 
pray give the girl some work to do, that she may not be idle. The old king could not for some time think of any work for her to do, but at last he said, I have a lad who takes care of my geese. She may go and help him. Now the name of this lad, that the real bride was to help in watching the king's geese, was Curdkin. But the false bride said to the prince, Dear husband, pray do me one piece of kindness. That I will, said the prince. Then tell one of your slaughterers to cut off the head of the horse I rode upon, for it was very unruly and played me sadly on the road. But the truth was, she was very much afraid, lest Falada should some day or other speak and tell all she had done to the princess. She carried her point, and the faithful Falada was killed. But when the true princess heard of it, she wept and begged the man to nail up Falada's head against a large dark gate of the city, through which she had to pass every morning and evening, that there she might still see him sometimes. Then the slaughterer said he would do as she wished, and cut off the head and nailed it up under the dark gate. Early the next morning, as she and Kurdkin went out through the gate, she said sorrowfully, Falada, Falada, there thou hangest. And the head answered, Bride, bride, there thou gangest. Alas, alas, if thy mother knew it, sadly, sadly, would she rue it. Then they went out of the city and drove the geese on, and when she came to the meadow, she sat down upon a bank there and let down her waving locks of hair, which were all of pure silver. And when Curdkin saw it glitter in the sun, he ran up and would have pulled some of the locks out, but she cried, Blow, breeze, blow, let Curdkin's hat go. Blow, breeze, blow, let him after it go. O'er hills, dales, and rocks, away be it word, till the silvery locks are all combed and curled. Then there came a wind, so strong that it blew off Curdkin's hat, and away it flew over the hills, and he was forced to turn and run after it, till by the time he came back, she had done combing and curling her hair, and had put it up again safe. Then he was very angry and sulky, and would not speak to her at all. But they watched the geese until it grew dark in the evening, and then drove them homewards. The next morning, as they were going through the dark gate, the poor girl looked up at Falada's head and cried, Falada, Falada, there thou hangest. And the head answered, Bride, bride, there thou gangest. Alas, alas, if thy mother knew it, sadly, sadly, would she rue it. Then she drove on the geese, and sat down again in the meadow, and began to comb out her hair as before, and Kurdkin ran up to her, and wanted to take hold of it, but she cried out quickly, Blow, breezes, blow, let Kurdkin's hat go. Blow, breezes, blow, let him after it go. O'er hills, dales, and rocks, away be it whirled, till the silvery locks are all combed and curled. Then the wind came and blew away his hat, and off it flew a great way, over the hills and far away, so that he had to run after it. And when he came back, she had bound up her hair again, and all was safe. So they watched the geese till it grew dark again, 
In the evening, after they came home, Kurdkan went to the old king and said, I cannot have that strange girl help me to keep the geese any longer. Why? said the king. Because, instead of doing any good, she does nothing but tease me all day. Then the king made him tell him what had happened, and Kurdkan said, When we go in the morning through the dark gate with our flock of geese, she cries and talks with the head of a horse that hangs upon the wall, and says, Falada, Falada, there thou hangest, and the head answers, Bride, bride, there thou gangest, alas, alas, if thy mother knew it, sadly, sadly, would she rue it. And Kurdkin went on telling the king what had happened upon the meadow where the geese fed, how his hat was blown away, and how he was forced to run after it, and to leave his flock of geese to themselves. But the old king told the boy to go out again the next day, and when morning came, he placed himself behind the dark gate, and heard how she spoke to Falada, and how Falada answered. And then he went into the field, and hid himself in a bush by the meadow's side. And he soon saw with his own eyes how they drove the flock of geese, and how, after a little time, she let down her hair that glittered in the sun. And then he heard her say, Blow breezes blow, let Kurdkin's hat go. Blow breezes blow, let him after it go. O'er hills, dales, and rocks, away be it whirled, till the silvery locks are all combed and curled. And soon came a gale of wind, and carried away Kurdkin's hat again. And away went Kurdkin after it, while the girl went on combing and curling her hair. All this the old king saw, so he went home without being seen. And when the little goose girl came back in the evening, he called her aside, and asked her why she did so. But she burst into tears, and said, that I must not tell you or any man, or I shall lose my life. But the old king begged so hard that she had no peace till she had told him all the tale, from beginning to end word for word, and it was very, very lucky for her that she did so. For when she had done so, the king ordered royal clothes to be put upon her, and gazed on her with wonder. She was so beautiful. Then he called her son, and told him that he had only a false bride, for that she was merely a waiting maid, while the true bride stood by. And the young king rejoiced when he saw her beauty, and heard how meek and patient she had been, and without saying anything to the false bride, the king ordered a great feast to be got ready for all his court. The bridegroom sat at the top, with the false princess on one side, and the true one on the other, but nobody knew her again for her beauty was quite dazzling to their eyes, and she did not seem at all like the little goose girl, now that she had her brilliant dress on. When they had eaten and drank, and were very merry, the old king said he would tell them a tale. So he began, and told all the story of the princess, as if it was one that he had once heard. And he asked the true waiting maid what she thought, ought to be done to anyone who would behave thus. Nothing better, said this false bride, than that she be thrown into a cask struck round with sharp nails, and that two white horses should be put to it, and should drag it from street to street, till she was dead. Thou art she, said the old king, and as thou hast judged thyself, so shall it be done to thee.
And the young woman was then married to his true wife, and they reigned over the kingdom in peace and happiness all their lives. And the good fairy came to see them, and restored the faithful Falada to life again. Once upon a time, a mouse, a bird, and a sausage entered into a partnership and set up house together. For a long time, all went well. They lived in great comfort and prospered so far as to be able to add considerably to their stores. The bird's duty was to fly daily into the wood and bring in fuel. The mouse fetched the water, and the sausage saw to the cooking. When people are too well off, they always begin to long for something new. And so it came to pass that the bird, while out one day, met a fellow bird, to whom he boastfully expatiated on the excellence of his household arrangements. But the other bird sneered at him for being a poor simpleton who did all the hard work, while the other two stayed at home and had a good time of it. For when the mouse had made the fire and fetched in the water, she could retire into her little room and rest until it was time to set the table. The sausage had only to watch the pot to see that the food was properly cooked, and when it was nearly dinner time, he just threw himself into the broth, or rolled in and out amongst the vegetables three or four times. And there they were, buttered and salted, and ready to be served. Then when the bird came home and had laid aside his burden, they sat down to table. And when they had finished their meal, they could sleep their fill till the following morning, and that was really a very delightful life. Influenced by those remarks, the bird next morning refused to bring in the wood, telling the others that he had been their servant long enough and had been a fool into the bargain, and that it was now time to make a change and to try some other way of arranging the work. Beg and pray as the mouse and the sausage might, it was of no use. The bird remained master of the situation and the venture had to be made. They therefore drew lots and it fell to the sausage to bring in the wood, to the mouse to cook, and to the bird to fetch the water. And now what happened? The sausage started in search of wood. The bird made the fire, and the mouse put on the pot. And then these two waited till the sausage returned with the fuel for the following day. But the sausage remained so long away that they became uneasy, and the bird flew out to meet him. He had not flown far, however, when he came across a dog who, having met the sausage, had regarded him as a legitimate booty and so seized and swallowed him. The bird complained to the dog of this bare-faced robbery, but nothing he said was of any avail, for the dog answered that he found false credentials on the sausage, and that was the reason his life had been forfeited. He picked up the wood and flew sadly home, and told the mouse all he had seen and heard. They were both very unhappy, but agreed to make the best of things and to remain with one another. So now the bird set the table, and the mouse looked after the food, wishing to prepare it in the same way as the sausage by rolling in and out amongst the vegetables to salt and butter them. She jumped into the pot, but she stopped short long before she reached the bottom, having already parted not only with her skin and hair, but also with life. Presently the bird came in and wanted to serve up the dinner, but he could nowhere see the cook. In his alarm and flurry, he threw the wood here and there about the floor, called and searched, but no cook was to be found. Then, some of the wood that had been carelessly thrown down caught fire and began to blaze. The bird hastened to fetch some water, but his pail fell into the well, and he after it. 
and he was unable to recover himself. And then, at last, he was drowned. There was once a shoemaker who worked very hard and was very honest, but still he could not earn enough to live upon, and at last all he had in the world was gone, save just leather enough to make one pair of shoes. Then he cut his leather out, all ready to make up the next day, meaning to rise early in the morning to his work. His conscience was clear, and his heart light amidst all his troubles, so he went peacefully to bed left all his cares to heaven, and soon fell asleep. In the morning after he had said his prayers, he sat himself down to do his work, when, to his great wonder, there stood the shoes already made, upon the table. The good man knew not what to say or think at such an odd thing happening. He looked at the workmanship, there was not one false stitch in the whole job. All was so neat and true, that it was quite a masterpiece. The same day a customer came in, and the shoes suited him, so well in fact, that he willingly paid a price higher than usual for them, and the poor shoemaker, with the money, brought leather enough to make two pairs more. In the evening he cut out the work, and went to bed early, that he might get up and begin bedtimes next day. But he was saved all the trouble, for when he got up in the morning, the work was done already for him on his desk. Soon in came buyers who paid him handsomely for his goods, so that he brought leather enough for four pairs more. He cut out the work again overnight and found it done in the morning, as before, and so it went on for some time. What was got ready in the evening was always done by daybreak, and the good man soon became thriving and well off again. One evening, about Christmas time, as he and his wife were sitting over the fire, chatting together, he said to her, I should like to sit up and watch tonight, that we may see who it is that comes and does my work for me." The wife liked their thought, so they left a light burning and hid themselves in a corner of the room behind a curtain that was hung up there, and watched what would happen. As soon as it was midnight, there came in two little naked dwarves, and they sat themselves upon the shoemaker's bench, took up all the work that was cut out, and began to ply with their little fingers stitching and rapping and tapping away at such a rate that the shoemaker was all a wonder and could not take his eyes off them. And on they went till the job was quite done, and the shoes stood ready for use upon the table. This was long before daybreak, and then they bustled away as quickly as lightning. The next day the wife said to the shoemaker, These little whites have made us rich and we ought to be thankful to them, and do them a good turn if we can. I am quite sorry to see them run about as they do, and indeed it is not very decent, for they have nothing upon their backs to keep off the cold. I'll tell you what, I will make each of them a shirt and a coat and a waistcoat, and a pair of pantaloons in the bargain, and do you make each of them a little pair of shoes." The thought pleased the good cobbler very much, and one evening, when all the things were ready, they laid them on the table, instead of the work that they used to cut out and then went and hid themselves, to watch what the little elves would do. About midnight in they came, dancing and skipping, hopped around the room, and then went to sit down to their work as usual. But when they saw the clothes lying for them, they laughed and chuckled, and seemed mightily delighted. Then they dressed themselves in the twinkling of an eye, and danced and capered and sprang about, as merry as could be. 
till at last they danced out at the door and away over the green. The good couple saw them no more, but everything went well with them from that time forward, and as long as they lived. Mates, I hope you all enjoyed these tales. I think the one that stood out to me the most was the bird, the mouse, and the sausage. Just the fact that there is a sausage that would butter itself against the food to only be devoured by a dog, then a mouse trying to do the same, only to melt horrifically into the soup. That's some seriously gross body horror imagery right there, but also some uniquely strange storytelling. Mates, before I head off into the land of sleep with my old grey tea in hand, I want to thank you for listening, and thank the Patreon supporters that bolster this show and help me achieve what I simply wouldn't be able to do without their help. First up is my Ode Night Tea Titan, Marvelous Maya. Thank you, mate, for your lovely email this morning, and your feedback on the audio quality. I've been working hard on using the D-Reverb tool to really limit audio echo and provide that studio quality effect. I'm glad you're noticing it, and thanks to you, I've been able to seriously up my game. Thank you, Maya, Queen of Cats. You really are a legend. And my white tea warlord, Lesasaurus Rex, thank you for being so damn amazing, and I can't wait to make some time this weekend to go through your epically awesome email. Responding to lovelies like you that support me is one of the highlights of my week. No joke, it's people like yourself and the patrons that reach out to me that really spice my week up. Thank you, Lesa, for your constant support. You really are a superstar. And the lifeblood that bubbles in this podcast veins, my Earl Grey enforcers. Chad Warren, Just Heather, Paige Marcini, Peter Effeli, Tasha Moncrief, Christina Boyd, Dolphin and Cow, Michelangelo Yacone, Tea Time Drinker 1, and Divided by Zero. Thank you all for being brilliant and supporting me. If you like what I'm doing and have a couple of seconds spare, leave an iTunes review. If you love what I'm doing, you can support me directly via Patreon, like these lovelies do, at www.patreon.com forward slash sfgt. And if you want to get to know me, email me at storiesfablesghostlytales at gmail.com and you'll always hear from me. Mates, have a wonderful weekend. I'll see you Monday, and as always, till next we meet. meet.